Hello and welcome to another edition of S'mores by Fireside. As always, you can find out more about our marketing services for small businesses at meetfireside.com. Click on the S'mores tab and you can watch all these interviews in video form, or you can download us as podcasts wherever you like to get your podcasts from. Today, I'm joined by a fellow Brit, uh, Vanessa Shaw, CEO of Growth Academy. Welcome, Vanessa. Hey, so good to be here. We get to speak British together. <laughs> I feel like we should start with some sort of topic of education around what is Marmite and where how people should really eat fish and chips. And how they should really pronounce aluminum, uh, aluminium. <laughs> and basil and oregano. We could go on a whole long little, little track on this. Um, Vanessa has had a fascinating path to the U.S. from England through a spell in, in Geneva. Um, will you tell us, Vanessa, a little bit about that, uh, that journey? When did you get to the U.S.? Why did you come here? What were you doing in Switzerland? Yeah, absolutely. It's, kind of, it is, it's, it's a fascinating story, and I'll, and I'll give the high notes, the high level of it, because honestly, I could tell you about it, you know, speak for it for an hour. So basically, I'd grown up in the UK, studied languages, got an opportunity to go to Geneva for a few months to work at the UN, and a few months turned into 21 years. So moved to Switzerland, um, met the love of my life, my husband, who, of course, Robert, you've met as well. He was over there. And so we met and married uh, in Switzerland, had on Lake Geneva. Both of our kids were born in Switzerland, and I really felt like that was, when it, that was gonna be it. I had a UN career for about six or seven years. Um, one of my highlights actually of that career was working for the UNHCR, the High Commission of Refugees. And I was actually the co coordinator of an airlift into Sarajevo in the middle of the, uh, of the war. So, you know, putting, putting uh, jets into Sarajevo and scheduling those and working with the military and medevacking. And it was a kind of, you know, really tight time, you know, fascinating and really mm -hmm. knowing that you're making a difference. Um, Robert's career was taking off and we really decided that there was it was not wise to have two of us working in the UN anyway and I knew for a while my heart really wasn't in it apart from a few highlights and so I gave up work to be a stay-at-home stay mom for 10 years he's you know he had a global career you know he was traveling the world and so I always wanted to be bringing up the kids and being very involved and that's what I did for 10 years and that's then funny. Yeah, and then retrained, um, actually retrained 10 years later as um, a life coach, got my business off the ground, kind of life coaching in the very early days, but it rapidly turned into professional executive coaching and starting to work with corporate clients. And all of a sudden, one day, Dex, it really was this kind of light bulb moment of I'm coaching all of these great people and leaders in business, like take big, bold actions and pursue their dreams and create new stuff. And I had this moment of, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I felt like I was that quintessential British woman living abroad, kind of middle-class, married, two kids. Hmm. Um, at the time, two pets, you know, a dog and a cat. Oh, by the way, we had two cars <laughs> and a four-bedroom house. You right. know, it was kind of, you know, like that, it was just like that, you know, everything that I thought I would ever end up having in life, I had it. And I was like, is this it? And um, by now I'm probably in my very early 40s. So I was definitely having a little bit of that, you know, midlife crisis or awakening, as we might want to call it. And uh, that set me on the journey for, I want another adventure, like going to Switzerland, it felt like an, a big adventure. Like I want, an, I want to do something fun and exciting in the way that I'm coaching my clients to do it. 
And so I had this idea of coming to the States. Um, we've been traveling to the States with the kids because Robert is American. And I always, I actually loved the attitude here. There was a gung-ho-ness mm. that exists. And you, I think you and I both know that compared to Brits. There, there is that, hey, we can do this, you know, mm -hmm. and certainly in the entrepreneurial fields as well. And I was just very attracted to that energy. Um, I also started to get some connections in the States. I was doing some of my coach training. So I was just a, around that a lot more. Mm -hmm. And in, um, I think it was, two, it must have been 2011, we were actually up in Sedona. We were over, over here on a trip. And I announced to Robert that, you know, that was it. I wanted to make this big, bold move, leave everything behind, come over here. And uh, it was going to be a three-year plan. Kind of got him on board for that as well. He was going to be retiring from the UN. It made sense for the kid's age. And uh, it was supposed to be a three-year plan. And then when I got back to Switzerland, I turned it into an 11-month plan and sold up everything, got kids out of school, and then landed 2012 in the middle of a dust storm in Phoenix. And they closed the, <laughs> and they closed the airport after my arrival. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> You touched on uh, you touched on that different mentality. I think between being here in the U.S. versus England, I, I do think it's changing now. But I, but I do agree that I think certainly as recently as five to ten years ago, I think the attitude in England, as reflected by the media, not just the people, was that if someone was successful, they were always knocked a little bit. Um, not directly because of their success, but they got knocked because they had been successful. And then people like to take them down a few notches mm -hmm. because of it. Whereas in the States, I agree, there is certainly in a lot of the, the bigger cities and, and populous areas in the States, the mentality is, hey, that's great. Well done. You know, you've done something really interesting there. You've done something really good. Um, and I find it a lot easier to stay in that positive mentality of growth and innovation and doing things here because generally people will be more supportive. Yeah, and certainly, obviously, in those kind of entrepreneurial business owner circles, right? That's when I found for the first time, it's like, wow, I'm going into rooms full of people where we're talking about cool stuff and we're, mm. we're talking about like how important it is to invest in yourself and how important is personal development and leadership and these bigger conversations that... Perhaps my experience, certainly, and remember, I left the UK a long time ago as well now, right. so of course, it's tainted with that. Um, but yeah, my experience was at the UK that some of those, those questions kind of, you know, a little bit more secretive. Um, even, even just recently, there was a client that quickly said to, you know, quickly rolled off the team of people supporting her. I mean, we're talking of a powerhouse woman. And it's, well, of course, I've got my business coach, and then I've got my therapist for this, and then I've got my other coach for this. And I think people here, like, think about supporting themselves with a team of different professionals. Whereas when I left the UK, even, like, having a therapist was like, whoa. Oh, it still is. It is still it? is. Oh, I was having this conversation with family members the other day. I'm... Uh, I don't know, four years ago, we sold a business called Chango and I was with the acquirer for a year and then I was ceremoniously kicked out a year and a day later. Um, and you give up your baby like that anyway and then it doesn't end in the way you want it to afterwards. Um, and it really threw me, it took me for surprise. And I started working with this lady called Kerry 
um, Kerry Making Bird, if any of you are listening in Denver. She's magnificent and she changed my life. And I went looking for a CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist, because I didn't want to pay somebody to listen to me moan. Yeah. I wanted to pay somebody who would fill in those gaps I didn't get in my childhood about learning mental strength and mental growth, mm-hmm. right? We have fitness coaches, we have doctors, we have all those things and they all seemed acceptable. Yet there is still this thing of, oh, are you, are you still seeing a therapist, yes. right? Like there's something wrong with it. Whereas here, yeah. it is much more celebrated. Yeah. So no, so that was a big part, you know, a big part of the appeal. And then of course, so <laughs> arrived here 2012, now, now I've actually got to get a business off the ground. And uh, the part of that story was I actually came with my two children and Robert only joined me two years later. So you know, that was kind of that. He was deal. still at the UN in Geneva. He was still at the UN in Geneva, fitting, you know, finishing out his career. So I was kind of playing single mom, mm-hmm. uh, less or no friends. I knew absolutely nobody here whatsoever. So I had kind of, you know, a life to get off the ground, <laughs> kids mm. to look after. I mean, a completely different system, not knowing my way around. And also a business because I'd said, you know, we're coming here to the States because I want to pursue my dream of building a new business in the States. And that was my dream. And it's like, well, now if my back's against the wall, I think I better kind of get it going, right? So in those two years, you were here largely on your own with the kids. You were starting this business. Did you have a lot of moments of, oh, shit, what have I done? Or were you generally kind of on a fairly positive keel about it? Um, I did in the early days. Um, and again, I'll give a kind of high level of this. Um, but in the very early days, A, I was incredibly lonely. I yeah. mean, it's really tough to move to the other side of the world, to not know any, anybody. My husband, like my best friend, was, you know, back in Switzerland, nine hours, eight hours time difference. Um, and, and there was a cultural shock. I, re- I do remember that thinking. I, I remember thinking, oh, I thought it would be a lot easier because we speak English. And yet I come from this very international culture and very diverse mm. you know, environment. And then into this very, yeah, very American environment. And actually, well, yeah, you ended up in Scottsdale, Arizona. I mean, I know, and I white and middle class. and Exactly. And it's actually incredibly different to what I've been used to for many years. So there was, there was definitely a kind of a culture shock um, and, and wanting to get to know people and, of course, make friends. Um, and then we also had, I, you know, I was faced with some really big challenges with our son as well. He was, mm. you know, not doing well. And again, cut, cut a long story short, you know, he was like having a massive breakdown that I was having to deal with. Um, and so there was a, a, around that time, I was really like, oh my gosh, like what the heck was I thinking? What did I sign up for? Um, everybody, you know, back in the, and again, when you make big changes, I mean, now looking back and, you know, Steve Jobs always said, like, you can connect the dots looking back. And I've learned so much about that, that experience for myself and actually the process of change, because it's what we obviously are working with with our clients the whole time. And it, there's right. actually a very kind of predictable process in there. But when you make like, take really big, bold leaps, like that is, you know, closing down everything in Europe, selling up everything, literally putting everything in containers and landing in Scottsdale, um, the, the universe is gonna challenge you. That The challenge right. will come, it's absolutely guaranteed. And it's almost as if the challenge is there to say, you said you wanted this, are you really up for it? And uh, so there was that moment when, you know, I had people saying, you're crazy. Why, you know, why are you living apart from your husband? You're going to get divorced. Why don't, you know, why do you need to go now? Why can't you stay behind? What's all this about? You know, why can't you stay another three years? You know, it's just, so there was a, 
whole lot of judgment and criticism around me, which, yeah, I felt very, very alone. And there are very few people that understand, you know, when you've got a passion and a desire and you're really feeling pulled to do Mm -hmm. something, very, very few people that you can actually confidently discuss that with without being on the receiving end of judgment and criticism or perhaps even them feeling intimidated, you know, Mm -hmm. by the changes that you're wanting to make. People seem very fearful of people in life doing very different things. Sarah and I got criticized a lot. Um, You know, we've been married, well, we've been together more than 10 years now in the first four plus years of that i was living in every city in the u.s other than here right we're Mm. building businesses and we made it work um and people would tell her regularly oh we'll be off having affairs or this won't last or it's really quite extraordinary and i even found it uh, at christmas i was in england family and then my kids were coming back from a trip in south africa whatever i had four days on my own so i got on a flight and you know went and walked around morocco for four days the number of people are like, well, why didn't you take your wife? I'm like, well, she's got her own shit going on. Mm. There is a, I don't know. I, I think some people end up embracing the planet as their home and are excited about that rather than kind of fearful about it, maybe. Um, well, it's also, and I think, you know, it's worldviews, right? It's kind of like, we don't realize until we start to really examine those beliefs and assumptions and values and all the rest mm. of it. And, you know, and I've been on this journey now for over 15 years of, you know, deep personal development and obviously building my business as well. You know, and I think about how my, how my view of so many things has fundamentally shifted. But the reality is many people have a view of family looks like this. If you run a business, it looks like this. If you are a woman in business, it looks like Mm -hmm. this. If you're running a marketing agency, it looks like this, right? Mm -hmm. And not realizing that we get to create whatever we want in our lives in the way that we want to. Yeah, that's right. So we'll, we'll come on and talk about Growth Academy and what it is today in a moment. But I am curious. So you landed here you knew you wanted to create this business and you started off as a life coach. When you were sitting on the plane on the way over here, kids in tow, did you know that life coaching was going to be the business you were going to be in here? Yes. So I was already, so I was in the executive coaching world, kind of life coaching and executive coaching back in Geneva. And I'd been doing that since whatever it was, 2005, 2006. So again, I was established, you know, in kind of my methodology and everything and and doing pretty well at it. The big difference was when I came across the pond, so to speak, I knew full well that my business was already shifting um, and the executive coaching was no longer lighting me up. And in fact, what I had done is I'd started to examine like who were the clients. I had a major law firm as a client for many years and did some amazing work with them. And I started to look at, who were the people inside that law firm that I got really excited about working with? Um, and that's when I realized that they were more kind of, they were almost entrepreneurs, right, inside a law firm, but they were the ones building the new business. They had a very much entrepreneurial mindset. They were the go-getters. And so that, when I came over here, I'd already made the decision that going fully in on entrepreneurs was the market. So, that one is interesting. I still do some executive development. It just kind of just sometimes gravitates towards me, but you know, I don't, not a lot of that. Um, 
And so that was the decision that I had made. And, you know, small business is really my passion as well. I just love the kind of the scrappiness of small business, the wearing of, you know, of hats, the creativity of it, the fact that, you know, I can impact it so quickly. Like we can make a decision today and like today it's implemented if we really want to go that quickly. Um, But then it was really and truly the the challenge became, well, kind of what small businesses and how do I get in front of them? And I'm a complete nobody here. Um, So now I have to kind of build up my personal brand again, right? And actually get some of those success stories going. Where did the permission come from in your own mind that allowed you sitting there in Geneva to say, yeah, I'm somebody who people want to listen to and, and become a become a life coach because I've heard other people talk about considering that kind of as mindset, right? And usually what prevents those people from actually doing it is the imposter syndrome where they just don't think they have the experiences or, or they are somebody that people would pay to get the coaching from. You mm-hmm. clearly didn't have that imposter syndrome to the degree that it prevented you from doing it. So where, where did that internal permission come from? So it's interesting. It's actually a really great question because actually I did have imposter syndrome for quite some time and I had to do an awful lot of work around that. But back when I was in Geneva, it was it was actually interesting that I had when I announced, well, let me back up. And I think it was a girlfriend that really, she sowed the seed for me. And so in a way I was like, oh my gosh, that's blindingly obvious. I was at a point before training as a life coach of not knowing what the heck I would do. I didn't want to go back to the UN. I, you know, I felt very unqualified for many things. So for me, the only path forward was one of freelancing or some kind of, you know, freelance work. Um, and it was a girlfriend, my bestie. In fact, we're speaking like this weekend. Um, she lives in Guildford and, you know, I always am so grateful for her for that conversation because she was like, uh, duh, you should train as a life coach because you were the one that when we were at uni, you were the one that we all came to. You always had great advice. You always had great insights. You know, we always felt safe with you. So when our boyfriends were messing us around or we were throwing up because we had too much to drink or any other drama that was going on, it's true, they they were always on my bed. And so that was kind of, I think somebody else saying, duh, that's what you should be doing was was really good. Um, And then later on, in fact, where the imposter syndrome actually showed up for me, was I mean two ways that it showed up and one was one was actually a really helpful manifestation of it and the other one was um a story that I kept telling myself that I really had to to change so the imposter syndrome was more around oh my gosh I'm not skilled enough I'm new mm. to this I'm a newbie that this is a big field I've just walked into yes I've got some initial qualifications but like I've just scratched the surface And in fact, what that did was it drove me to read like voraciously. I mean, come to my house one time and you will see I have just, in fact, that's a cupboard there that's got tons of books. There's another one to the left. My daughter, even the other day, was like, hey, do you have The Artist's Way? Have you ever heard of that book? I'm like, go into that cupboard. because It's my annotated copy, sure. Exactly. She's like, like, what book have you not got? She goes, every time I ask about something, she's like, you've got it. And um, so it led me on this path of like diving into so many different things, uh, driven by imposter sy- syndrome. And oh my gosh, what if they find out? My biggest fear was that they were going to find out I was a stay-at-home mom, and that's really all I was, mm. and that I was really good at baking cupcakes and cooking. That was kind but of. But isn't that extraordinary, right? Because 
You talk about your time at the UN. You talk about helping coordinate airdrops in Sarajevo during a war, right? It's astonishing how as human beings, so many of us do trip ourselves up with that self-doubt, right? You, you say you had fear that they were going to find out that all you were was a stay-at-home mom and what BS that is, right? You've got a whole background that was incredibly different to that. I know, and, and I tell you what it was, though, is that, and again, to this day, it's gonna, the, the story has changed. My story that I was still holding on to was, I don't have a resume. I mean, I'd had 10 years at home. The six years at the UN, there were some highlights, but my heart wasn't in it, so I wasn't exactly proud of what had, yeah. what had gone on there, right? So it wasn't like I could really, I was speaking to big accomplishments that I was behind. And my big fear was, well, if anybody ever asked me to put together a resume, I, what am I going to put on it? Right. And here I am working with people that have got credentials. You know? I mean, you know, as long as this, you know, they sit on boards, they do that. And so for me, the gap was, here I am, little stay-at-home mom, recently trained coach, working with these top professionals. Like, who the heck do I think I am? And the right. gap what I was in was the gap between, you know, where I saw myself and like where I, where I could see myself, you know, headed. And I just kept kind of feeling like I was falling into that gap the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because there was one day, I always tell this story. It's a fascinating story. I knew that the breakthrough was going to come and, and because I'm still showing up and I'm doing great work and I'm getting great testimonials, right? It's not like I'm not, I'm not letting it stop me, right. but I was, doing a lot of work and internal work. You weren't trying to convince yourself you could be a good life coach by sitting at home, not being a life coach. You were doing oh, it and you were getting the results. You have to be in action. You can't yeah. you know, change these things just by like trying, you know, talking yourself into something. But my, the big question that was always in my mind was, am I really adding value? Mm. Because my craft is in having conversations with people and in fact, being a coach for me is, is so natural and so easy. Um, it's just, it's my gift. It's, it's my complete zone of genius. Now, the thing is when we're in a zone of genius, it often is fairly effortless, right? And it's flow and we can, we can undervalue it because it doesn't feel hard. It actually feels right, right. hard. And so I had this whole question that kept going like, am I really adding value? Like, am I really adding value? And one day I was meeting with a new prospect in the firm and he was a really, really intimidating guy in my mind. And I actually do think he was about six foot six. In my mind, he was probably about six foot nine. And, uh, you know, I'm about five foot five and I try and wear high heels to kind of make, make up for that difference. But he was big and he had this big, deep voice as well. And he was one of the senior partners or an equity partner. And it was all very, very like this, you know, and I was like, oh, no. And he wanted to speak with me. And then he immediately came at me with a, well, you know, Vanessa, the thing is, it's I just don't know how you're going to add any value to me. Ballsy. Like, whoa, straight into, you know, like that, my weakness and my fear, he like went straight into it. And, you know, for me at that point, I was just like, I know for well, I've just got to go there. Like, this is my point to turn this around. And, you know, I can back off and I can be intimidated and I can kind of walk out or it's like, you know, go into that fear. And I said, yeah, you're quite right. And I don't know either how I could add any value to you. So you tell me, 
what would be most valuable? Mm -hmm. And I turned it around. And with that, he just, you know, opened up about everything and probably became one of my best, you know, best clients inside the firm. And I was like, okay, we've, we've done it. That, you know, we have to have those moments where we've just put that thing to bed and it's like, it's healed. And it was the beautiful, like it's going to show up. It's going to keep showing up until we really heal it. And then we move on. So, you know, that's often a question I'll just lead with right now. It's like, yeah, tell me what would be most valuable for you. Right. Right. Well, it certainly makes it a lot easier for you to position. It makes it so much easier. Today, right? They're telling you the selling point. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's, that's such an often missed question in the sales cycle. Mm. Um, when I do these smalls conversations, um, I'm often intrigued by people's background because what I often find is successful entrepreneurs, business owners, they've had some exposure early on to other people who are doing that. So it becomes, there's less of a hurdle there that they have to overcome um, to then go off and start their own business. Did you have parents back in England who were self-employed business owners in any way? No. So I think, again, and this is kind of, I think, so encouraging for other people because the reality is, you know, as you say, if we've got background and kind of role models for some of those things that we want to be doing, it makes it easier. Um, I grew up in, again, you know, very nice English family. I'm the only daughter with three brothers. Um, there, were, there wasn't any expectations that I was going to go out and have some mega career, um, no. be a businesswoman at all. If anything, my scripting was around um, being the stay-at-home mom because that's what all the women in my family have done. And then any money that they did, if, you know, if they did go out to work, it's kind of supplemental to the household. Um, but, you know, not doing, you know, not, not being a breadwinner or like really bringing in kind of serious amounts of money. And so for me, I was very much going against a lot of kind of deep programming and expectations. Um, and again, my stepfather, my, my stepfather was a doctor. He was very figural in my life since about the age of um, 14. So, he, you know, he's, he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, my mother was a local school teacher and my, my stepfather would be a little bit outspoken at times as well. And, um, you know, he, in the early days, he was like, when are you going to stop playing with this thing and go back home and, you know, actually, you know, look after your kids? Wow. Like, you know, stop, stop this kind of messing around thing and go back to doing what you do well. So, no, I did not have that. I did not have those role, you know, role models for that. What I did have is an uncle. Uh, and again, I absolutely to this day love him to bits, a uh, massive role model in my life. And he was definitely entrepreneurial. He'd had a big career in, in sales. There was a lifestyle piece that I had seen. I'm very close to my aunt and uncle. Um, spent a lot of summers growing up with them, like in Hampshire and everything, um, you know, back when I was little. And there was a lifestyle and a mindset that I could see with them that I wanted. So there was this other thing. Now, it was very mysterious to me, especially growing up. And kind of interestingly enough, when I, especially when I think about some of the money stories that you know, we do inherit, which are really important to understand, mm -hmm. especially when we're going into business for ourselves because they can trip us up. One of those very early money stories that I remember was you know, probably saying to my mom very innocently at probably the age of eight or nine, like, how do they have all of those things? And, oh, I'd love to live in a house one day like Auntie Penny and Uncle Robert. And my mother's response was, you know, something along the lines of, and again, right through my eight-year-old, nine-year-old memory, 
Well, people like us don't don't have that kind of money, darling. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And again, I'm not, that's not verbatim, but that, that was, that was a message. It's like, no, I know that that's, I know they, they do extreme work, but like people like us. That's are, extraordinary. Yeah. And so I didn't realize. And again, when I've shared this story with so many people and it wasn't innocent, there was no, that was an innocent passing comment, right? It wasn't said vindictively or, or jealously either. It was just a kind of an innocent da, 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 like, resignation that a set of cards had been dealt and exactly when I was, what it was and what it wasn't. Yeah. And, you know, and again, life went on to change later. You know, my parents divorced, my mother got remarried. She actually retrained. She became as a, you know, you know, a woman in her own right. And so a lot of things advanced, but what I didn't realize is that that had planted a seed very, very early on for me that it was never going to happen. Wow. It was never going to happen for me. You know, I read many years ago, I don't read a lot of parenting books. Um, I, I read an article, though, and it talked about how we talk to our children about success. And that always stuck with me. And it's maybe that's like an accidental opposite to the lesson you're talking about, which is yeah. it said, don't praise your kids for good grades. Um, by telling them, oh, you're so smart, well done. Mm. Irrelevant of whether they did good or bad in the grade, praise them for the effort if they truly put the effort in. Mm-hmm. So just praise the effort consistently, whether it's good or bad. And I do think that is such an interesting approach because then you're teaching that mindset, I suppose, of a lot of nice things that you might want to have aren't going to come easy. But there's this very clear correlation between no effort, you're not going to get anything. Exactly. Put the effort in, you're likely to get something and probably ultimately what you want. Absolutely. Yeah. How interesting. So let's pedal it forward then to Growth Academy today. How do you describe what Growth Academy is, what you do, um, and and what that business is and who it's for? Absolutely. So, so, and it's the Business Growth Academy. So, very specifically, you know, we are working with business owners and entrepreneurs. And everything, you know, the only people that we work with are the people that want to grow. So hence, it's the Growth Academy, right? Um, and what does that really mean? I mean, like I say there's three things that the people, you know, the people that we work with come to us for um, and any combination therein. They want more money in their business, like the revenues, revenues and profit are just not where they want them to be and or the amount that they want to be paying themselves as the business owner isn't where they want it to be. They want more impact, i.e. they want to reach more people. Uh, you know, serve more clients and or impact can be through building teams, right? And having employees or independent contractors, right? So make that bigger difference in the world. And then the the third component is they want more freedom. There Mm -hmm. always comes a point where um, they want more freedom. And it it really doesn't mean, you know, they just want to sit on a beach all day long, like the laptop lifestyle, right? But it's more about the freedom to be themselves, the freedom to do the work that they love, the freedom to work with the clients that they want to work with. I mean, I define freedom as, you know, doing the work you love with the people that you love working with, how you want to and when you want to. You right. know, for me, that's kind of like freedom. Um, and so that's often that place of they're working towards that, you know, or, you know, they want to free up time from the business so that they can lead it more, grow it more, or frankly, you know, set up other businesses. We've mm-hmm. got several of our clients now since working with them. They've got multiple businesses. 
So that's really, you know, the core of everything that we do is kind of around those, it's going to impact those three pillars. And then it was interesting because around the time that you and I first met and we got talking, um, I was in this question of, we were getting some really great results for our clients, but we were, they were getting those results inside of a year long program that used to be called Accelerate. And I was noodling this question in my mind of what would it take to get them results quicker? You know, mm. what if we could start to dial this in and actually really speed up the time for getting those results? Um, and I just love growth. And I, I mean, I do. I love results. I just thought, I'm a, you know, I'm a junkie for that stuff. It's like, yeah, get things moving. It's really, it's just exciting energy. And that was, that led us to create, um, at the beginning of this year, a brand new program called Elite, which is our 100-day business accelerator. And we discovered as well, you know, when we really analyzed our clients and kind of where they got sidetracked, that <clears throat> there's really two phases for the business growth. Um, one is really the focus needs to be on clients and cash flow, and that's it. Just like, let's get the revenue in, let's dial it in, let's make sure you know who your ideal audience is, what's the best offer, what are the best price points, and like just be selling that stuff mm -hmm. and getting that flow in. You know, it's like the revenue generating engine for the business. What happens though is as people start to grow, they then think that now I need branding, now I need this, now I need this, now I need 12 different marketing strategies, now I need a salesperson, um, now I need leadership, now I need team development, now I need systems. You know, we, you know, we'll see people putting together beautifully organized businesses. I'm like, it's going to be so organized. You're going to have nobody coming through the front door. Right. Like, who cares? So we really designed the programs with a view to like if revenue and sales and profit is the number one priority, which it is for the large majority of small business owners, even though they might want to think it's otherwise, um, it truly is. Now we've got a program that helps them with that. And then we also have our stellar mastermind, which is a year long for businesses that are over 250K in revenue that mm. want to scale up to that million dollar and beyond mark. And that's where we have multiple conversations about everything to do with business, but we've kind of got them separated out now. And what we're seeing with the business owners is A, they're getting phenomenal results in the 100 days. So we've had multiple business owners that have done actually multi six figures, six figures in a hundred days, whereas they previously, it could have been taking them, you know, nine months to even a year. And what they're saying, um, repeating it back to us, is like, oh my gosh, like I'm focused. You know, the one, the biggest challenge is this lack of focus. And we hear this all day long. I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling so scattered. I, I've got everything's a priority. It's like, it's not everything is not a priority and so we've really dialed in a system there whereby they just get so laser focused that it's almost like they can't they'd have to choose to fail um because as i said there's so much accountability that's been built in and in fact i was chatting with one of my mentors the other day and he said well so kind of what are you doing like to fill the next programs and i said well the next program just filled itself because they're getting such great results they're like can you sign me up for the next one you know, because they're like, this feels so good. That's so that great. focus is really, you know, really, really key. And it's focusing on the right things. That's the piece. Yeah. The point you make about focusing on things like revenue, 
over worrying about your branding and all these different marketing channels is it seems so basic and so fundamental, but I think so many business owners, when they start, they see some of the, the mega brands, right? The Apple, the Steve Jobs, Steve mm-hmm. Jobs is always hailed on everybody's kind of list as being a, a founder or a, an entrepreneur they admire. Sure. Apple has great branding. They invest hundreds of millions of dollars in that, but he didn't at the beginning. And there is that famous photo of Jeff Bezos in his, in his living room, in his house when he first started Amazon. Mm-hmm. And he's got the real shitty Amazon logo written out on long pieces of printer paper on the wall. Yeah. You know? That photo is the embodiment of what you're saying, right? Yeah. It is. How about you go focus on getting some sales and then you can worry about that stuff later. I've really enjoyed talking to some of your program members about marketing for that exact reason. Because when I've talked to them, so many of them are so worried that they're not doing enough different marketing things. Mm. Um, we had one of your program members um, who became a client not so long ago where their kind of question was, well, I'm only doing Facebook ads. Yeah. I need to be doing SEM. I need to be doing content. I need to have a podcast. I need to be writing a book. And we asked the fundamental question, are Facebook ads profitable for you? Yes. Well, you don't need to do anything else. Just, Just do that. And it was interesting to see their face of that kind of sense of relief of, oh, I'm already doing it right. Yes. Do you find that is a big part of the coaching you have to give? Is is that helping people realize that they're not screwing it up in ways that they think they might be? So, yeah, yes and. So, yes, sometimes it really is, as you say, like validating and saying, you know what, you have got so many good things in place here. You know, like you sometimes people don't realize how much good stuff they've actually mm-hmm. got. And then as you say, we can come in like we tweak a little bit here and there and it's right. It's, it's really like a work of art. The other thing I do find is when it's coming back to sales and like my earlier story around money story as well is the place that we often have to really dive deeper is the, like, what are the stories that you're telling yourself that are having you avoid these things? Because what I find, and again, nine times out of 10, they would far rather think marketing or, you know, let me put together a flyer. Let me do something like this. Let me do something creative because they're actually really scared of sales. They've got a whole mindset around what it looks like. And oftentimes, you know, if they're really getting stuck there, we start to dig underneath the surface and I will always, always, always find a money story that is completely limiting just in the same way that mine was of, Um, you know, oh, I have to become a certain way. I've got to be cutthroat in order to earn that kind of money. Or my family, we never had that sort of money. And now I'm so concerned if I do that, you know, somebody's going to want to take it from me. I mean, there's always something massive sitting under. So once we shine awareness on that as well, it's that kind of, oh, okay. Yeah, it's not me. I like, this was something I was just completely unaware of. Now I need to get to work right, to course, you know, course correct and, you know, get into a better place with this. Wow. Do you have many people that come into the program where ultimately your advice needs to be that this isn't, this isn't the right business? You need to go find something else or are you kind of screening that sort of stuff out before they come in? Very, very little of that these days. 
Um, we, in the earlier days, I can, I mean, the minute you ask that question, I can think of a couple of businesses that are actually invested in, we, you know, sometimes do like a VIP strategy day, mm. where it's like intense, like really working on them and everything in the business kind of in a day in an accelerated way. And two businesses come to mind that, you know, they'd invested this money to come and spend the day with me. And I sat there and told them that they needed to go their own separate ways. And it's like, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat this because there are some things that they, they were just so fundamentally off, mm. <laughs> um, really on completely different pages. And it would have been, it was kinder and more honest to say, guys, you've got to rethink this right now and not go into this any further because like, it's completely headed in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, and yes, of course, we have a lot of screening now that we, you know, we work with people that have already been in business for a while. So there's typically that proven, they've, they've got a track record and some traction. Um, it doesn't mean to say that they're not going to start to refine their direction and think of new things. But it's probably been a pretty long time since I've had a conversation of, do you really want to be in this business? Right. Okay. Um key piece of advice that comes to mind for you for for listeners who are early stage business what uh, what would you prompt them to go spend the next couple of hours uh, thinking about that could make a big difference for them gosh that's such a great question um honestly i think probably one of the things i would do is say you know kind of self-serving me honestly i would go like go download this book from my website the million dollar question um, because this is a great little book that will give some really good insight into like a key question that they should be asking themselves um, that can reveal actually a lot of the things that they really need to be working on. Um, plus there's a whole business model in there as well of like the different parts of the business that they can just start to think through that lens and then they can even download a scorecard that goes with it to kind of look at, okay, where am I at? Where do I want to be? And kind of what are the gaps? Um, so I think that's just uh, you know that can be read over the time it takes to drink a latte or a nice big glass of red wine so it's, you know it's not a big time investment um but any for anybody else as well listening I think you know and I know you and I are very much on the same page as this part of the key to my success has been not thinking that I had to do it all by myself right right that's just I've never questioned that I needed help um, I have coaches, I have mentors, I have partners, you know, work with lots of different people. And I think for anybody that's want, wanting to grow right now, you've got to think about who are going to be your power partners in that, you know, you know, a great business coach that's trained in mindset and strategy, not just mindset and not just strategy, because like the two go together, you know, who are going to be those people that are going to really help you work out the business model or the financials or the marketing, um, because it can be a lonely journey. Yeah. It kind of circles back around to, you know, there's a lot to be done. Um, we are the weird ones. We are the minority, right? The entrepreneurs, you know, most people don't, don't go down this, this mm -hmm. path in life. And so being surrounded by like-minded people and people that can really see your potential and, you know, get you on the right path, I think is absolutely key. I think the the phrase of, you know, you are the sum of the people you, you surround yourself with is very critical. I think some people fail to launch because they surround themselves with people who are the people who question 
everything too much. The people who feel have a mindset where it's going to fail rather than a mindset that it's going to succeed mm-hmm. and surrounding themselves by even sometimes family members where, you know, they, they don't believe that that's what you can or, or should be doing. Um, there is a lot to be said for either joining a coaching program like yours, joining a, uh, going to like a BNI group, for instance, constantly, just something where you are actually surrounding yourself with the people who are doing, um, whether they're being successful or not. Momentum is is the is the key, and find people who believe in the momentum mentality. And never take, you know, this is a, my, my big piece of advice is never, ever, ever take advice from somebody that hasn't run their own business. Yeah. As you say that, I mean, it's like, and it sounds so obvious, but the amount of people that will say to me, oh, I need to run that one by my husband or my wife. I'm like, why? Right. Why? I'm going to write that one down and it's going to be the opening line in the show notes of the podcast. Never, ever, ever take advice from somebody who hasn't run their own business. Because it really is. It's like, why? You know, they, they cannot possibly know what it's like to be in the trenches, to really understand what it's all about. And that their advice is going to be very biased. Yeah. There's a lot of lessons that come from wake up, waking up in the morning, worrying about making payroll. Uh, hello. Yes. <laughs> Lots. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Vanessa, this has been wonderful. Will you share with our audience um, what your, where they can find your site and that book? Absolutely. So vanessashaw.com, super easy, vanessashaw.com. And then uh, you'll see an opt-in there. Just answer whatever the question says. <laughs> yes, I'd like to join. And then you'll get a free copy of that book. I also, for those people that are, you know, business owners already over their first six figures, in revenue. Another free resource is the million dollar group in Facebook. That's a group that I, uh, I run. I'm doing a whole lot of free trainings in there right now and growing that group. So again, the million dollar group inside of Facebook is a great place for us to connect and hang out. I'm a member of that group. I can highly recommend it to, uh, to people. There's some great content in there. Um, Vanessa, thank you for our audience. As always, you can visit meetfireside.com, learn more about our services for small businesses. You can click on the smalls tab, find all these episodes in podcast, in video form, or you can download us wherever you like to get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.